everyone, it's Judy. Welcome back to this week's Ecosystem Podcast. Today I'm joined by regular guest Steve Sandler. We're going to talk all about probes. Have you ever given much thought to your probes, how they work? Are you getting accurate tests and measurement results? Are you really sure? Which way is the signal moving? Why are there so many probes? Why do I have to have a custom probe? We're going to dive into all these subjects from guru Steve Sandler. And we're also going to talk about a bleeding edge probe, probably the first of its kind in the world, that's going to be displayed at the Tektronics booth at DesignCon at the end of January. So we're going to tease that a little bit. And we're also going to talk about um, some articles he's written that are probably of interest to you. And then we're also going to talk about some presentations he's giving at DesignCon that I thought would be of interest. So without further ado, let's jump right into this conversation with Steve Sandler of PicoTest. Hi, Steve. Welcome back. You're one of my favorites. I'm glad you could join today. Oh, it's always so much fun. So thanks for having me. And talking to you is really easy. So looking forward to this. Well, you are with PicoTest, the company you own. Um, why don't you first give our audience a little preview about who you are and who PicoTest is, and then we're going to dive right into everything about probes. Sure. So, well, I guess the white beard gives away the fact that I'm old. So I've been in power electronics a very long time, uh, since the 1970s. Um, I've been, been in power electronics and my first company was called AEI systems and it did simulation and modeling of satellite systems. And I thought I retired in 2000, but I guess it didn't stick. So I ended up with another company called PicoTest and we make test and measurement instruments and probes that help engineers make better measurements. A lot of it's for satellite systems, but also for high speed stuff. Well, we were talking recently and I thought you proposed a really good topic to discuss. And so I want to dig into that because it's kind of going to a fundamental, a fundamental fact of what is a probe? You know, you've taught me a lot over the years about, you know, probes, signal injectors, all this. And I had no idea how complex it was. Um, so I know you were really smart and you could do all the math behind it, but I didn't know just functionally. And I thought that engineers and listeners would really enjoy sort of getting a, um, you know, probes 101 and really understanding because I think it's something not, I'm not the only one that doesn't know about that. So why don't we just start out with how would you, Steve Sandler, define a probe? That's a really good question. I could tell you that um, I, I knew you were going to ask that question, so I looked it up on, on uh, Google today. And Merriam-Webster says that it's a device that's used to investigate hidden things. And I don't know if that's really true or not, but I guess um, it, maybe it's, it's partially true. But if we look at the way that the electronic world works, we end up with instruments that are on our bench, and then we have the circuits that we're measuring. And so the question is, how do we get those two connected? And so we need to connect the scope to the board somehow. One way we can do that is with coaxial cables. And a lot of engineers do use high-speed cables with SMA connectors or three and a half millimeter connectors or whatever. Um, but if you want to be able to move it around real easily, it's a lot faster and quicker if you can use a probe. So a probe is a device that makes the connections between the instruments and the board that we're testing. That's the best definition I can give you. I mean, most people know what a probe looks like and are accustomed to seeing, you know, engineers using probes on a, on a lab bench. But 
Um, what actually it kind of goes along with investigating, right? So what actually does the probe do? And then I'd like you to talk about sort of the signal generation and which direction it's going and things like that. Sure. So the probe, it, the probe's job is to do, I think, two things. One is that it needs to convey the information between the board that we're testing and the instrument, right? And it needs to do that. Um, and it needs to do that with high fidelity. We need to get the information accurately. So we need to accurately get the information between the instrument and, and the board that we're testing. But there's the second piece, and the second piece is often even harder than the first, and that is that we can't interfere with the processing of the circuit in the meantime, right? So we have to be kind of like this innocent bystander that's able to watch the things going by, hmm. but we're not allowed to change the result. And so that's the, the things that the probe has to do, is it has to convey the information without changing the information, and it needs to do it accurately. In other words, it needs to be like a good journalist, right? Stay objective there you go. and exactly. not interfere, not add opinions, just measure. Exactly. Exactly. Gotcha. Just just the facts. Just the facts, exactly. So you ta taught me something recently, and I felt kind of silly for not knowing it, quite frankly, but I feel that way a lot. Um, but I've always thought about a probe being a passive device and just measuring it, measuring this, the signal and what's happening. Mm -hmm. But you've taught me that the signal can also be in, injected. Am I saying the, the term right? Sure. Through the probe. So tell us a little bit about that. I think you shouldn't feel silly about that because I think most engineers really believe that probes take information from the yeah. circuit and get it to the instrument. And nobody yeah, really yeah. thinks about the fact that it's really a bi-directional communication. But if you think about it, for example, a time domain reflectometer, we use those all the time for measuring our printed circuit board coupons, you know, high-speed traces and all those things. And most of the time we use a probe to do that. So we connect the probe to the time domain reflectometer at one end, and then we connect the spring pins of the probe to our circuit board at the other end. And what's actually happening, the TDR, the, the reflectometer, generates a signal. The hmm. signal goes down to the cable, hits the board, measures the board. And, of course, the reflections go back through the cable the other way and show up back in the instrument. That's what we measure in the time domain reflectometer. So in that case, we're sending signals through the probe, and we're also receiving signals through the same probe. There are other instruments that do that too. For example, a vector network analyzer, if we make a, a S11 measurement, a single port impedance measurement, then in that single port impedance measurement, the VNA sends a signal down to the probe, measures the reflections when they come back. We also have two port VNA measurements. And in that case, we have a signal going from one port through the probe to the board, and it's received by the other probe in the vector network analyzer. So we measured the signal going through this thing in one direction. And then the vector network analyzer changes direction. It generates a signal on the second port, goes back through the cable, and measures it on the first. And so we talk about these signals like S S21 and S12, mm -hmm. which talks about the direction that the current is flowing, which way is it flowing through the probe. 
But in both probes, it's flowing in both directions. We send information and we receive information from the same probe. And that's all done in a single probe. Like sometimes I see one probe being used and then two probes. And the two probes, I think, is looking for open and shorts, I think. Is that correct? Or like, what is the difference between a single probe and two? Sort of. So when you think of a single probe, usually we mean mean that that's a a single port. And a single port means that I'm connecting to one connection on, on the board. So if I'm making a one-port impedance measurement, I have one probe. Okay. If I go make a two-port impedance measurement, well, most of the time we would use two probes. Okay. One probe for port one, one probe for port two, and we would connect those to our, our duct ports in order to get the signal. That's not always true either, right? We kind of shook it up a little bit at PicoTest, and we said, well, it's really hard to hold these two probes at the same time, and we've got to make sure they stay at the right angles, and you can't move them. So we took both ports, and we put them into a single probe. Okay. So it looks like one probe, but it's actually two probes inside the handle, and that way we can manage the angles and the distances and all of those things, and you're only got to hold one thing in your hand. So... Uh, so we shook it up a little bit, but that's the way it would generally work. You would generally have two probes to do a two-port measurement. Well, because you and I work together and, and we're friends and colleagues, you have shown me so many different probes. And why? Why does there have to be so many d- different types of probes, the way you're talking, like if you need a single port, a double port, TDR, you do this, 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 it seems like there'd be like 10 probes in the whole world, but there's not. Yeah. You know, and this is a question to get a lot, not just about probes, but why do we make so many signal injectors? Yeah. so, So in my lectures, I often say, you know, it's a simple question to ponder. And there are these parallels why does my wife need so many shoes? Why does she need so many necklaces? Um, and of course, she re- you know responds and says, you know, I was out in your toolbox, and why do you have so many screwdrivers? Um, why you got so many drill bits? And I would say that it's it's really just like that. So the probe's job is to make this accurate connection between the instrument and the board. Sometimes it's because they need a special size. I need something that fits between these two pins, and that's not a standard size. Can you make me a probe that can do that? Uh, sometimes it's because if there's a really tight space. Can you make a probe that'll fit in there? Mm. Um, we have customers that say, could you make a probe that can fit in this automated test system, right? We have this robotic arm that we move around and we want to use that for our probe. Can you make a probe that would fit in this robotic arm? We've been starting to get um, even more questions from some of our customers. They're measuring their high-speed chips and, you know, these high-speed chips are getting faster. They're getting higher powered and it's getting really noisy trying to measure near these chips that are generating so much noise. So, for example, we had a customer recently said that, asked, can you make a probe that has a filter inside it so that we can block out all those signals except in the band of our phase lock loop? And so we did. We made a custom probe for them that had exactly the size that they have between the balls of their chip. 
And then that filter inside the handle so that it blocks out everything from the instrument except for the frequencies that would bother the phase lock loop. And then they can make this great measurement. Sometimes they say, um, you know, can you give us some special attenuation? Sometimes it's because they just can't find a probe that's quiet enough or that has the bandwidth or, you know, something like, like that. And so the result is we make an awful lot of probes. Yeah. And, and I think that we're one of very few companies that really enjoys the semi-custom and custom business. Not too many companies do that. We love that. We love the, com the customers that come to us and say, could you make a probe that does that? You uh, love it. I think that's your wheelhouse, you know, Steve Sandler. For me, that's fun. You know, I, <laughs> no. like, oh, yeah, I think I could do that. <laughs> yeah. So you're saying that it's application driven, it's speed, it's pitch, it's there's just so many varieties that exactly it's exactly. not a one size fits all. It's not just exactly. like one Phillips screwdriver and you're good to go. Yeah, there are things that, you know, work on that I'm not allowed to talk about, but that generates a lot of a lot of probes too. You know, things that don't match standard pitches. They're they're unique. Um, and the probing for them is really precise. And so, you know, we make probes for that too. But there's there's a lot of requirements for custom probes. Interestingly, every oscilloscope ships with scope probes, right? Every channel comes with its own probe and those probes are almost never usable. And so it's kind yeah, of interesting because there's this interaction that neither side really likes. The scope companies would love to not have to sell all those probes with the scope, right? Especially the new eight channel scopes, man, we got to ship eight probes with that. That's a lot of money. And then the engineer receives it and says, well, I can't use those probes. Those aren't any good, right? So they don't use them. And, but the scope company can't stop shipping them because everybody expects it to come with them. So somebody needs to be the one that says, you know what? I don't need the probes. Why don't you keep them? Right. And, and then, but it just doesn't work like that. I wish it did, but it doesn't. So tell us, you know, stories from the, you know, I wrote a blog once it was called like stories from the ledge, you know, <laughs> and I know you're way out on the leading or bleeding edge with a lot of companies you've worked on what are some of the most sort of unique or perplexing probes i know you've worked a lot in in the um, space and space applications but you also yeah. work a lot into like all the the big guns on with semiconductors what are what were some of your personal because i know this is your form of both industry but play you know tell yeah. us fun stories of probes you've gotten to work on or develop you know, we made an awful lot of them. Um, the first real custom probe we made were really surprised because it was NASA that came to us and said they needed a special probe. And we weren't sure what was special about it, but then they, they told us they had a 120 volt space bus, but they needed to measure noise on it that was in microvolts. And I'm thinking, wow, the noise of a high voltage probe for 120 volts is noisier than that. But they said, you know, is there a way that we can make a probe that can measure microvolts on a 100-volt bus? And, of course, I mean, this is my favorite thing. I love this. You know, like, <laughs> there's got to be a way. Um, there has to be a way. Yeah, so we did. We figured out how to do it, and um, and we made the probe. And, you know, for us, it's a lot of fun. We're glad we were able to do it. Uh, of course, we were thrilled that it was for NASA. 
right? And um, and we don't expect to ever sell that probe again. It's it's a probe that NASA needed. It's a kind of like a one shot deal, right? Mm-hmm. And then we had um, Corvo came in and needed a very similar probe, and they make a sixty five volt um, uh, solid state power amplifier. And you're also looking for microvolt level noise under 65 volts. And I'm thinking back to, to how I did that. And I just wrote an article about all the different ways that you can measure, you know, noise on power rails and power rail probes are really good. Fortunately for me, maybe they only go up to 60 volts. They don't go to 65. And so Corvo needed a custom probe. So we pulled out that old uh, NASA probe and we reconfigured it and we made a, a probe for to measure their solid state power amplifier. They were so pleased with it. They actually published an article. I think it was in, it might be in Signal, Signal Integrity Journal called How to Probe High Voltage Power Supplies. Uh, Would you share we, that with me, Steve? Yeah, I'm sure, sure it'd be fun for our audience to, sure. it, to it geek was out on that. A guy I know a long time, probably more than a decade, he came out of Texas. And his name is uh, Masashi Nagawa. And he's really smart. He's a really great guy. And he knew what the challenge was. And, you know, there's some people that really don't know. It's like, you know, hey, right. can you measure a molecule for me? Um, <laughs> I don't know where it is, but maybe you could maybe you could figure out it, figure it out and measure it. Mostly she's not like that. He's really smart. He knew what he was asking for. And if he knew how to do it, he wouldn't have called us. He would have done it. Um, so he knew it was difficult and he was really thrilled when we pulled it off. But that was an, another one. Um, we had another customer this year. I don't know if I'm allowed to say who it was, but they wanted to do testing at minus 60 degrees C and there aren't any probes that can tolerate that. So they asked us if we could, um, if we could use our probes at minus 60 degrees. And I said, I have no idea. Um, go for it. Try it. If you break the probe, we'll replace it. And they did break the probe, but it worked. So they kind of made it a single use probe. Uh, while we're off developing a minus 60 degree probe, we figured out how to do that. It, it requires some special casting and probably first quarter of next year, we'll have our, our minus 60 degree cast probe so people could do really cold temperature testing. But it's always almost always something like that, that somebody has this really unique requirement and it's really out in left field and, and can you do this? And the answer is probably not, but yeah, we're going to pull a rabbit out of a hat somehow. And we do. <laughs> so I'm thinking here about our watchers and listeners. And if you could just sort of give some basic advice to maybe not so much the bleeding edge, but people that are working on complex electronics in regards to, to probe and measurement specifically, I know you have probably forgotten more than most people know, like what kind of blind spots do you think are out there um, that, or just advice you'd give re regarding test and measurement specifically around the proper use of probes and measurement yeah. techniques? That's a really good question. And we, um, I mean, we have an awful lot about that in our online class, uh, but it, there's really two parts to it. One is noise management. And, and a lot of the class is dedicated to how you manage noise and that's one of the things that we really have to worry about in, in probes, partly because noise penetrates the cable itself, but mm -hmm. also where it is that the probe connects to the board. It's very susceptible. They're almost like very small antennas. 
And so you pick up a lot of noise that way. Uh, but most measurements are wrong. And, and you, I think somebody once said, and I don't know who it was, I, I wish it did because I'd love to credit it. But he said, most measurements are wrong, but some of them are useful. <laughs> oh, and, my. And it's almost, it's almost true. Um, the problem is that when you look at the circuit, remember I said you have to do two things. One is you have to get the signal to accurately get between the instrument and the board. And the second one is you need to not influence the measurement. Those two things together turn out to be really difficult. So let's say we have this high-speed chip and we want to look at one of the signals from this high-speed chip. So we make a probe that can fit on the balls of, of the package and we make this measurement. And somebody says, is that measurement correct? And the answer is twofold. The answer is not correct or it is correct for the measurement that we made. So there's bond wires and stuff that go to the die and then there's stuff that's hanging on the printed circuit board that's also on that same connection that we, we made. So... I didn't actually see what was at the die, but I mm. did measure what was at the point that I looked at. Now, if I go move the probe to that same signal, but at different points on the print circuit board, I'm going to get a different answer. So I think that you have to be very specific when you're making this measurement. What is it that I'm trying to measure? What's in the way? And so if you look at the printed circuit board as transmission lines and stuff like that, then all of a sudden it starts to make sense. And if you are using a EM simulation tool, what I tell people is make sure that what you simulated and what you measured were at exactly the same point, right? And, and that'll Tricky. help in getting the measurement. Um, also, I tell engineers that um, two things you can do. One is you should always measure the impedance at the point that you're going to be measuring so that you can prove that the probe is a higher impedance than that measurement. It's not going to influence it. And that's one thing that you can do. And the second thing I tell people is that um, you need to make a measurement that you know the answer to, so mm. that you know that you got the right answer. And we have a couple of articles. Um, there, there's one I wrote for Signal Integrity Journal called Measuring an Oscilloscope Probe Requires Two Channels. And it talks about why it is that almost every measurement that a manufacturer, a probe manufacturer makes is wrong, or at least not useful for the measurement that we want to make. And very simply, it's because they use a signal generator that has a 50 ohm source. Mm -hmm. That gets rid of all of the overshoots and stuff in the probes. When you measure it without that, looks really different. Um, and so we make a couple of devices for measuring probes just so we know what the artifacts actually look like. And so those are the, the guides that I would give you. Measure something that you know and make sure that you didn't influence the measurement. Make sure you understand what's between the point that you connected to and what it was that you wanted to know. Well, you led me right to an interesting point, something we we're discussing recently, because um, I know you have got a lot going on in DesignCon this year at the end of December. So for our listeners, um, the articles that Steve mentioned, I'll go dig them up. Signal Integrity is, um, as well as PicoTest, I'm glad to have them as sponsors of this podcast because of their continuing um, passion and interest in educating engineers, but I'll, I'll link to those resources so you can go dig in there. But when it comes to design con, um, I know that, uh, I think you and Heidi Barnes from Keysight and 
I'm not sure that Ben Dannon's involved in that one, though I know you guys are writing a paper together. But you're going to do a calibration class in Chipette Theater at the end of January. So can you talk about what inspired that between you and Heidi? Yeah, um, a couple of things, really. One is that so many of the support questions that we get are about calibration. Uh, What's the difference in calibration and de-embedding? Um, how do you calibrate a two-port probe? What happens if I don't calibrate? How do I know if I need to calibrate? And we were trying to figure out how to how to best calibrate our own probes. And of course, Heidi's always working with us to help with, with that. And so we said, you know what? Um, everybody needs to know this stuff. So why don't we just do uh, a session at DesignCon? And we asked Naomi and she said, oh, that'd be awesome. I'll give you guys a table at Chiphead Theater, have at it. Uh, ben Dan, and I don't think is formally listed on that paper, but he said he wants to help. So Ben will be there and he'll share what he knows also um, about, about calibration. And um, there's going to be a lot going on at DesignCon. There's a lot to, to see. And that's one of my favorite events, I think, at, at DesignCon this year. But there's a lot of a lot of surprises coming. Well, give us like a tease of what you're doing. We can talk about it later, maybe. Um, schedule permitting, we'll see. Um, I'm hoping to have you and Heidi and Ben back to talk about that paper. Um, because I appreciate all three of you so much and you three working together is an exciting proposition. Um, but just quickly, quick fire, tell us the, the papers that you're doing and then um, give us a tease. I think that you're working with Tektronix on revealing something special at Design Con. So tell us oh, whatever yeah. you can tell us about that. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm actually participating in three sessions at Design Con this year. Uh, two of them are with Heidi Barnes. Uh, we're doing a paper with uh, Heidi, Ben Dannon, and Christian Yachts at Texas Instrument. We're really excited about that uh, new edition. And that's on uh, modeling VRM. So maybe, I think it's about 37 years ago now, I published my state space average model, which is still in use today. And, and we finally ported it to ADS back in, I think, 2015. But engineers really are struggling to understand about state-based modeling and how it is that you populate these devices for measurements. And uh, so we put together a tutorial on that um, using case studies that Ben actually did himself uh, to model a, a VRM. And we turns out the application guy at Texas Instruments, Christian Yachts, and he said, oh, he'd love to participate in this paper since it's his device. And so it was really nice to bring in the semiconductor community too. Mm-hmm. We're going to teach people how the Sandler state space average model works and how it is that we populate that from data. Uh, Scott Witcher from AEI Systems, he's giving a paper on uh, Q management, or a quantifiable metric for PDN impedance, and mm-hmm. uh, specifically using the Sandler NISM tool, which was, you, you know, my, my PhD thesis. And so he found a unique use for NISM in quantifying a queue of PDN power rails. So, um, so I'm a, a co-author on that one. So those are the three events, the calibration event, the uh, VRM tutorial, and this one with, with Scott Witcher. And yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about the, yeah. the Tektronix thing. It's really exciting. It took me a couple of years to pull this one off. So, um, 
I said the probes are bidirectional, and the goal is to get the the signals between the instrument and the dot really accurately. So it turns out that measuring transceivers isn't so easy. And this is, um, you know, kind of, kind of a new passion of mine is not just PI, but power aware SI. So, um, you know, how does the power affect the high speed stuff? So the, the uh, transceiver community, 400G, 800G community came up with a requirement to test the noise sensitivity of their power rails. Unfortunately, they couldn't find anybody that could actually prov provide that signal. <laughs> And so they stumbled across us and said, could you make a device that does this? And it, it was really interesting. I, you know, I love these things. Um, but it turned out that we had to meet two requirements that were really never done before. One is that we had to put an awful lot of power into the head of our device. And because we needed to get the signal transferred to the dot accurately, uh, it had to be within about three-eighths of an inch of the, the transceiver. That, so it made it a probe. Mm. Uh, but it still had to be a high-power device. So the question was, how do you get the heat out of the, the probe? Mm -hmm. And so we made the very first water-cooled probe, and we're going to show that at, uh, at Tektronix booth, hopefully with the high-speed transceiver signals running at the other end so we can see what power where SI looks like. Uh, but it's going to be the first time this probe is shown. It took us a couple of years to figure out how you do a water-cooled probe. Uh, but we're really excited that we've got it. That's super fun. I think people would love to geek out over that and just see it. Um, so that's going to be, you said, in the Tektronix booth. And well, knock yeah. on wood, we'll get some measurements out of that puppy by the time <laughs> they get there, right? Well, I'm sure, I'm sure hoping. And we will have delivered our first probe to a customer before DesignCon 2. So that's kind of exciting also. Um, I don't know that we have all the details yet. We are going to give away some books this year at DesignCon again. So we're a little bit excited about that. Um, and we have some fun giveaways that, that we'll probably give away also at the tech booth. So it's going to be a fun one this year. I'm really excited about it. You know, it's been kind of a long time coming back from COVID. We had DesignCon in April. that was kind of a, a soft start. So it's going to be really fun to see all my friends there and, you know, people like you. So, so I'm I really know. Well, I'm excited to be there too. And in fact, I'm working with the folks at Informa who put on DesignCon um, to allow me to do uh, podcasting with people like you and Heidi and others from the design con um, floor. So we're, we don't have it all locked up yet, but I hope you guys will, you know, maybe we'll get a camera guy and come over, take a picture. Oh, I hope so. that'd, that'd be great. That'd yeah, be really fun. Um, it is pretty cool to see it. Uh, we're really excited about it and we're thrilled we pulled it off. So well, this has been a super fun conversation. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share before I let you go, Steve? I know you're a busy guy. Oh, I think that's it for now. And, uh, you know, it's always so much fun talking to you. So I'm glad I got the opportunity today. Um, what I'll tell you is that there's a lot more coming. So stay tuned. The probe that we have coming next year is uh, even a lot bigger than just a water-cooled probe. So stay tuned. You are a crazy man, Steve Sandler, but really fun to hang out with and learn from. I hope I'm so. still doing crazy stuff. So, I mean, that's that's my sweet spot is crazy. <laughs> I know. I know. That's what I like about you. Well, thanks so much for joining us today and giving our listeners a sneak peek and well as a, uh, you know, Probes 101. And I'm sure they've really enjoyed learning about it from, from the master. 
<laughs> yeah, well, thanks so much. It was a lot of fun. And we'll have a lot of our probes at DesignCon. So if you're there, come on by. Okay. To our listeners, I'm, I've am i got to backfill all these amazing resources for you, but I will try to connect you to the papers that Steve's offering, You know, maybe the, the tech booth location, some of the Signal Integrity Journal, everything we've talked about. So make sure you go check out the show notes and remember to like, subscribe, and I hope to see you at DesignCon. So thanks so much for listening and watching. And Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll see you soon, buddy. Thanks. Have a good one. We'll see you next week. Until then, remember to always be connected to the ecosystem. 